In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is the sixth Sunday of Easter. Easter, as you remember, is a week of weeks. It's seven times seven, so 49 days long from the resurrection until the 50th day, which we call Pentecost. So we're counting down those 49 days. At the same time, we're counting 40 days from the ascension to, uh, excuse me, from the resurrection to the ascension when Jesus rises up uh, to the Father in heaven. So we're counting 40 and then 49. That 40-day period is going to be ending this Thursday at the Feast of the Ascension. Because Easter is always on a Sunday, the Ascension is always on a Thursday. And so this Sunday we will celebrate uh, that Ascension. So we've spent this time not only thinking about and celebrating the resurrection and thinking about this resurrected body of our Lord, uh, but we've also been thinking about and preparing for what it means that He raises up into heaven. And at the same time, we've been thinking about what that means for us, how it is that we can participate in his resurrection, how it is that we can participate in his life now that he's risen up to the Father. And he's explained to us several different ways. He said that uh, we uh, are his sheep and that we, as his sheep, respond to his voice. He said that if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. That is, uh, that if we've acknowledged him as the way and the truth and the life, uh, that we uh, are able to participate in his life. He's used lots of different examples and today we see him using the example of the vine and the branches. So he said that he's the vine and we are the branches. Another way for us to understand how it is that we participate with him and the Father. He's continued here in John chapter 15 with this understanding that we participate in the Son the same way in which he participates in the Father. So we've seen this figure eight over and over again. The Father is in the Son in the same way that the Son is in the believer and the believer believers in the Son the same way the Son is in the Father. And Jesus says here very clearly and uh, in a, a, a startling way, if you ask me, that he is in the Father because he keeps the Father's commandments. And so he says we will be in him if we also keep the commandments. Uh-oh, is what I think when I read that, right? That we participate in the Son when we do what it is that the Son has commanded us to do. When it is that we do what the Father has commanded us to do. So we participate or we abide, or we dwell with the Father and the Son when it is that we uh, participate. When we keep those commandments. And when we do that, when we do that, then we participate in life because He is life. And so we have the mysterious life that is the power and the vitality of his life to do what he's given us to do. We share in that vitality of the Spirit. We share in that living life force of the Father as we uh, seek to be obedient to his commandments. And Jesus says you can't do anything without that vitality, without that life, without abiding in the Father. Uh, nothing that you do will have any significance or consequence or, or any real worth that's outside of the Father. He says this very clearly, that uh, you cannot abide uh, outside of the Father. And this is a very important reminder for us, and it's a reminder that we get here in Isaiah, where the Lord says, I'm the one that provides for the poor and the needy. 
sometimes we get that confused a little bit, right? And we think that we're the ones that provide for the poor and the needy, right? That it's up to us to make sure that everybody is fed and that all the trees are watered and that everything on the earth grows, right? We start to think that we're the ones that sustain life. This is as confused as thinking can get. God is the one that creates life. He's the one that sustains it. He's the one that provides it. We can't make life. We can't save life. We can't uh, cultivate it. All that we can do is acknowledge that God has done it. And then we get to participate with him in that life. We get to participate in the way that he has created the world. This is what science is at its best, right? Christianity and science are not opposed to one another. Good Christianity is good science. That is that we observe what it is that God has done in his creation. We observe how it works. We observe uh, what is good about it and how it is supposed to, to work. And then we seek to participate with that. That's what the best of science is when we say, oh, here's what the creation is doing. We're going to follow along with that. We're going to live according to the laws of creation. We're going to learn them and and better understand them so that we can be more obedient and participatory with how it is that our body works or how it is that creation works. Uh, So this is the best of science and the best of Christian living. And St. Peter says we do that through humility, that we submit to what it is that the Lord has done and that when we submit to him, when we're obedient and humble, uh, then we're able to learn and to participate. And he says that uh, when we do that, uh, we're able to bless. And and this is one of those great passages, right? Where he says, uh, do you want to be blessed? Then you have to bless. So we need to be looking for opportunities to bless. It isn't just that we, that we bless and, and then we will be blessed, but we need to be active and looking for opportunities to bless others. If you're like me, this is a difficult thing because I'm usually for looking for opportunities to show that I'm right or to show that other people are wrong or to find a good time to argue, right? To try to slip in some idea that I've got or to be able to say something that's on my mind. Rather than submitting and humbling ourselves to God and looking to see how is he blessing? What is he blessing? Right? And to say, I'm looking for an opportunity to bless. So now we're looking for God, we're looking for his movement, and we're looking for how it is that we can put our energies and our mind in accordance with his will to live in his vitality and his life. There's lots of scary parts in this gospel, if you ask me. The father, have you noticed what his role in all this is? The vine dresser? That's the guy with the clippers? Right? He's been sharpening his clippers, and he's inspecting the branches, and the branch that doesn't bear fruit, he removes it. He burns it. It has no use. It has no purpose. And, and this isn't cruel, and it's not unusual. It only makes sense. Because he's said, I'm humble, and I bear fruit. So if we don't want to be humble and bear fruit, we don't want to be a part of that vine anyways. And he says that he prunes... He prunes those branches that are bearing fruit. So if we are bearing fruit in our life, we need to be aware that the Father then is going to be actively removing 
things from our life that we're devoting that vitality and energy to that's getting in the way of what we are supposed to be doing and His purpose. That is the mission of the church. That is we're supposed to be doing the mission of the church. What's the mission of the church? We're supposed to be telling people what God is doing. We're supposed to be telling people, this is what the Lord is doing in my life. This is why we have fellowship. Right? Because we're supposed to be telling each other, this is what the Lord has done. This is what the Lord is doing in my life. And then we're supposed to be in that, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which of course primarily is love. We're doing that out of love. Right? With patience and and, and gratitude and kindness and and all those other wonderful fruits of the Spirit. So the Father's going to remove, and we should be looking and helping and participating with Him, removing those things from our life that thy vitality would go to, other than that mission and that fruit. I've told this story many times before when uh, Aaron and I were in Manteca in the Central Valley of California. Uh, We lived in a rectory there and there was an old broken down fence on the edge of the property and this uh, big beautiful vine uh, that was covering it. It was just a wonderful kind of of shrub, you know, that uh, I just saw as a a decorative barrier, if you will, for this fence. And then one day I was walking by it and I, I kind of peeked inside the dark, dense undergrowth and I realized there's some fruit in there. And so I kind of pulled back some of those branches and I found there were some little tiny grapes, some little tiny bunches of grapes. And so I, I cut a few off and, you know, there were these little bunches of grapes. And so I went to John Boggs, one of the, the pillars of uh, St. Mary Manteca, and I said, John, I think those are grapevines. And he said, of course they're grapevines. There was a priest here, Father So-and-so, 25 years ago, thought he had a green thumb, got me to bring him a couple of vines, we planted them, they grew, they did okay, and then nobody's paid any attention to them for 20 years. They're just growing, you know, wild at this point. I said, well, they, they had some fruit. He said, well, they'd have a lot of fruit if we'd pruned them. They need to be pruned heavily. So I said, well, tell me, I don't know how to do that. Tell me how to do it. He said, well, I'll help you if you want to do it. You do the work and I'll just kind of point. I said, all right, well, if that's what the the way that it'll work. So I got out there with my pruning shears. And of course, John worked right alongside of me and did the bulk of the work, you know. But we pruned that back so that there was hardly anything left but just some green branches at the top. And then that vine was just exposed. And that summer, we got more grapes than we could have ever possibly ate. We had bunches that were two and three feet long that were so heavy we carried them into the parish hall and we laid them down on butcher paper and the whole parish was taking grapes home and we had them laying on our counters. Aaron and I are reading uh, online about how to make raisins. I mean, it was crazy how many grapes that we had. But, you know, we had to cut a lot away that we might have thought was beautiful but that just wasn't bearing fruit. He's the vine dresser. And if we allow him to cut, if we allow him to remove those things in our life that we're putting all this energy into, that isn't declaring his name, that isn't blessing, then he will produce in our lives wonderful fruit. And we've read what that is many times before. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 